please go ahead, if you haven't already, during the scripture reading, and take out your Bible, if you would, and turn to that text of Philippians chapter 2. We'll be spending the lion's share of our time this morning in the book of Philippians. A couple weeks ago, when I had the privilege of being over in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, to a gospel meeting, I was privileged to be introduced to the publishers of the Magnolia Messenger. The Magnolia Messenger is a quarterly publication that's put out over there by Brother A.L. Franks and a group of others. It has a circulation of nearly 30,000, and from what I understand, if I read correctly, it goes to 50 states. All 50 states. Addresses therein. And so, I was perusing through that paper. Very high quality paper, very well done. I was perusing through the winter 2017 edition of it, and on page 11, there was an excellent article. Number of excellent articles, but this particular one was entitled, The Jesus Mindset. The Jesus Mindset was written by a brother, John Pig, who serves as the Lord's Church, serves as a gospel preacher in the Lord's Church. He also serves as a missionary to Mexico. And I want you to know as we begin this morning, it was his article that furnished both the inspiration and the rough outline for this morning's lesson of the same title, The Jesus Mindset. He began that article with a story first part sounds really familiar, but he doesn't go all the way through where you may have heard this particular story taken before. He wrote, a stranger was traveling through a town in Mississippi from Florida, and he stopped at a service station to get gas. Observing an old man sitting on a bench nearby, he asked, are the people friendly here? The old man responded, were they friendly where you came from? The stranger said, not at all. The people there were the most unfriendly I've ever seen. That's why I left. The old man wisely replied, people here just the same way. Then this good brother went on to say this. And these are very true, very important words. He said, the moral of this story is that the way a person looks at life is important. Because the difference is not in one's position, but in their disposition. He went on to say, attitude controls action, disposition determines direction, and thinking makes a difference in the way we deal with life. And he's absolutely right. He says, change your frame of mind and you can alter your life. And is that not true? Is that not what the Apostle Paul did when he explained to the Philippians to, to focus their mind on the good things and the pure and the right and the lovely? If anybody had a right to be downcast or depressed, it was the Apostle Paul in his circumstances. But what did he say? Rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. And, and he just goes on there. Proverbs 23, 7 teaches, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Change your frame of mind, and you can alter your life. 
Brother went on to say, no wonder Paul uses the word mind in his letter to the Philippians 12 times. Four times in four verses in Philippians 2, 2 through 5, the apostle encourages all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, to be like-minded, to be of one mind, to treat one another in lowliness of mind, and then he gives them the real challenge, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Christians should possess the attitude or disposition of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every brother or sister you had had the same disposition as Christ? We're all supposed to have. And he explains here that that's the sort of attitude or disposition we should all be striving for. And he says, what kind of mindset did Jesus have? And that's a very important question. Five S words describe the mindset of Jesus that we as Christians should have in our lives. This morning, we're going to take a look at those five S words. Number one, a selfless mind. That's what Jesus had, a selfless mind. Look with me again in Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Selfless. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even... The death of the cross. It's not just that he became obedient to the point of death, but the worst kind of suffering and torturous death imaginable. Even that far, Jesus took it because Jesus was selfless. Jesus did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to, something to be grasped. He did not consider the beauty and the glories of heaven something to be, you know what, I'm not going down there. Are you kidding me? To be subjected to that mess when I got it so good here? I don't think so. That's not Jesus' attitude. Jesus had a mindset, a selfless mind. He didn't hang on to those glories, even though he could have. Even though he had every right to stay there, he didn't. Instead, he chose to lovingly, selflessly, and willingly give it all up. And you know why, don't you? That person you see in the mirror every morning is why. There was no conceit. There was no selfishness. There was no self-absorption in Jesus' humanity. As this brother wrote in his article, instead of being self-absorbed, he abandoned a me, myself, and I attitude and manifested a selfless mindset. If we want to be like Jesus, we will not be all wrapped up in ourselves, but show a like-minded, selfless mindset. You know what? The Apostle Paul got that. Look with me in the same epistle. Look in Philippians 3, beginning at verse 7. We know in verses 1 through 6 all the good stuff that Paul had going for him. Look what he says in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. 
Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. If we read those first few verses of Philippians 3, we would see that the Apostle Paul had all the trophies, he had all the heritage, he had all the certificates of achievement. You know, if you walked into, yes, I'm being facetious here, but if you walked into the Apostle Paul's office at the church building, you know, he had all of his, all of his certificates of achievement, awards and graduate. He had all those, all, they were plastered all over the place. I mean, he had it all going on for him. But he got it. He understood what it was to have a selfless mind like Christ. Our second term. Jesus not only had a selfless mind, Jesus had a servant mind. You'll notice in Philippians 2 and verse 7 the term bond servant. He took the form of a bond servant. What that term means is one who voluntarily, volunt doesn't have to be drag kicking and screaming, one who voluntarily gives himself up to another's will, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. Jesus clearly saw his purpose in life. Not just something he did on occasion. Not just something he did when somebody badgered him enough that he'd do it. But he saw his purpose in life not as one of being served, but of humbly pouring himself out in service to others to the total disregard of his own comfort. Look with me for just a moment in Matthew 20. Jesus tells us this. And the scriptures show us his servant mindset in Matthew chapter 20. As you know, the disciples James and John have come there. They want this place of prominence. You see, they don't want to be selfless. They want to be selfish. They don't want to be servants. They want to be served. And so they've looked for these two prominent places. And look what Jesus says. It says in verse 24, when the ten heard about James and John... And their selfishness, as it were, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Watch this. Jesus didn't just tell us we needed to be that. Jesus said, I'm going to show you how that looks. Look at the next verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came to this earth to serve, if he could get on his knees, if he could have a servant's mindset, there's nobody here that's too good to have one. John 13, we know what Jesus did, don't we? 
In Hebrews 7.25, it says he still lives to intercede for us. You know what? Jesus is still serving. Jesus is still working. He ever lives to intercede for us. And so we see that Jesus saved us so that we would serve others exactly as he had. That's why we were saved. Why were you saved? Yes, you were saved to go to heaven. That's not the only reason. You were saved to serve. That's what Jesus purchased you to do. Look in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and we will see this. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The reason he shed his blood for you was to buy you so you could serve. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, but it doesn't stop there, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. He didn't just save us to go to heaven. He saved us to serve others while we're on earth and then go to heaven. Number three, Jesus also had a sympathetic mind. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation and he came in the likeness of men. That shows a sympathetic mind. Jesus came in the likeness of men. He was made like us in order to relate to us. Jesus came to walk a mile in our shoes, we might say. He came to live in our skin. He came to experience the same temptations and frustrations and devastations that we do. So that he could sympathize with our weaknesses. In fact, the scripture tells us that if you look in Hebrews chapter 2... The scriptures very clearly bear that out. In Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, verse 17 of Hebrews 2, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus had a sympathetic mind. He came to walk in our shoes so he would be able to help us when we encounter the temptations and the frustrations and the devastations of life on this planet. We need to develop a deeper sense of sympathy and compassion if we want to have the mindset of Jesus. All too often... I think sometimes we can be quick when somebody struggles to say, hmm, glad I don't struggle with that. We need to sympathize. We need to understand where people are coming from. Number four, Jesus had a submissive mind. A submissive mind. 
If we were to look in Luke 2, 51 and 2, we'd see that Jesus was obedient to his parents from childhood. You know, these commercials you see on TV today, kids are so much smarter than their parents all the time. You know, 12-year-olds get a lot more smarts than somebody with 20, 30 years experience in life. That's the way the commercials and sitcoms go. But here's the thing. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, when he was a child, he still obeyed his parents. We see that in that passage. Jesus was submissive. And not only did he set us the perfect example in childhood, but when he became a man, he took it to such an incredibly higher level. He kept on going. John 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I do not seek my own, but the will of him who sent me. He had an obedient or submissive, submissive mind. John 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We could look in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know. Three times he prayed and said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus had a submissive mind. Look with me for a moment in Hebrews 10, if you would, as well. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, we see his submissiveness once again on display. Hebrews 10. In quoting from Psalm 40, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 7 of Hebrews 10, Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Jesus was prophesied to have a submissive mind that led to submissive actions. And finally, in number five, Jesus had a sacrificial mind. We see that in Philippians 2 and verse 8, which we read. And what does Jesus ask of us in having a sacrificial mind? Jesus tells us that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. That's sacrifice. Luke 9.23 and 14.27. This good brother went on in his article to say, If Jesus willingly and sacrificially laid down his life for us, we ought to be willing to do the same for one another. And the scriptures tell us that in 1 John 3 and verse 16. Another one of those 3.16 power passages we've talked about. He says we need to show a sacrificial mindset in our time, talent, and treasure in every area of life. And we need to all ask ourselves individually, do I do that? Do I have a sacrificial mindset when it comes to my time, talent, and treasure? Am I willing to put my needs, wants, and desires on a back burner in order is my mind fixed on serving others no matter what instead of myself. That is the mindset of Jesus. He said if you want to act like Jesus, live like Jesus, and be like Jesus, you must develop the mindset of Jesus. And then he concludes his article with this. 
He says, a family was leaving worship one Sunday, and their little girl asked. The preacher said, Jesus lives in us. Is that true? Her mom replied, yes, darling. Again, the daughter asked. The preacher also said, Jesus is bigger than us. Is that true? Once again, the mother answered, yes. In a childlike mindset, the little daughter finally inquired, If Jesus lives in us, and Jesus is bigger than us, then why doesn't he show through? She was thinking literally, but spiritually the question every Christian needs to ask is this. If Jesus lives in us, and if Jesus is bigger than us, then why doesn't he shine through us? When you and I have the selfless, servant, sympathetic, submissive, and sacrificial mindset of Jesus, then he will show through in every facet of our lives, and God will be glorified. As we conclude this morning, please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul uses that word mind again. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, after talking about this incredible thing that God has done for us, and how through His wisdom and knowledge He has given His Son for us, and all the blessings that we have in Christ, Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said, I'm begging you. Because of all you've got, I am pleading with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Everything you do, you do it in service. You do it in sacrifice to others, not about you. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable after what God has given for us to purchase us that we fulfill the purpose for which we were purchased. That's only reasonable. That's why he calls it your reason. It's only reasonable. You know, back when you were living for yourself and serving yourself and all of those sorts of things, and it was all about you. Okay, and you were lost in sin and all of that. That's one thing. But God has purchased you for a higher cause, for a nobler purpose. So it's only reasonable after he's washed all your sins away. You've repented and you've turned your mind toward God. It's only reasonable that you now present your bodies a living sacrifice. How, how do you do that? How do you, how do you go from being who you were to who you need to be? Well, he tells you in the next verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that Jesus mindset again showing through. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. You know what he's saying right there? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Have the Jesus mindset. And that journey of being transformed begins 
When we understand by faith who Jesus is and we are willing to confess Him and repent of our sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins. From that point on, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are to have those elements of the Jesus mindset. If we would truly be like Jesus, and if we would not truly be like Jesus and not show the family resemblance, then Jesus may have a problem recognizing us when he comes back for his child, for his spiritual siblings. This morning, if you would respond in any way by being baptized, or if you need the prayers of the church or anything else the church can help with, please come to the front as we stand and sing.